1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. I am not Will Brinson, as you can probably tell. Brinson's still out this week on vacation. Uh, I'm Sean Wagner-McGoff, the number one Super friend, of course. Uh, Brinson's out of town, but it is business as usual for the rest of us here at the Pick 6 Podcast. We are continuing our All 32 series where we try to talk to someone who covers each of the 32 teams in the NFL. Today, Jeff Duncan joins us to talk Saints uh Jeff covers the Saints for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at JeffDuncan underscore. Um, give him a follow there. Go read The Athletic and all the great content that he produces. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, Sean, uh, good to be here, and uh, thanks for the invite. Yeah, so let's start by talking about Drew Brees, because look, I'm sure you've talked about this story and written about it to death at this point. Um, it felt like a really quiet offseason for the Saints and, um, largely because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers stole all the attention within the division by signing Tom Brady, um, trading for Rob Gronkowski, who they got to unretire. And the Saints were kind of just sitting there. And in my eyes, they were still the best team in the division, even though most of the attention was going over to Tampa Bay. The Drew Brees stuff happens. Brees obviously speaks out um, against the protests during the National Anthem. A couple of his teammates come out and rebuke his take. And Brees has an apology, and I don't want to speak for everyone. It felt like on a wide margin it was accepted as a sincere apology and as a learning experience for him. So my question for you, Jeff, uh, how has the team reacted? How have they moved on? And do you think there's going to be any lingering effects heading into the season that could affect them on the football field?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Sean. I think, uh, it's probably too early for anyone to say. I know that the team has had a couple of video conference meetings team wide with the players and coaches only and aired out the situation. Uh, Sean Payton is very uh, much, I think, committed to trying to address this thing and make it a healthy situation. Uh, but there's no doubt about it. I mean, it was a divisive, issue and very uncharacteristic uh, of Drew Brees and the Saints. The Saints largely the last three or four years have been distraction-free. It's been a real Mm -hmm. advantage to this team, I think, compared to other teams around the league, one of the reasons why I think they've been so successful. And for Drew Brees, one of the the most politically savvy players uh, in the league, certainly as politically savvy as any player I've ever covered – for this to hit home for him the way it did, uh, I think uh, this devastated him personally. And I knew he would react the way he did. I know he's taken accountability for it, uh, not only uh, with the team as a whole, but also individually with a bunch of players. And I'm sure uh, he's going to face this issue head on to try and mitigate the damage uh, as best he can going forward. Because it's not just any player in the locker room that this happened to you know Drew Brees is the unquestioned leader of not only the team but the entire organization. He's the face of the New Orleans Saints, uh, so he knows that uh, when he says something, it's going to have even greater impact. Uh, and in this situation, it was a, a negative impact. So we'll, we'll have to see how it how it uh, you know plays out going forward. But uh, Drew Brees is probably the best leader I've ever seen, and uh, I'm sure he's going to do everything he can to rectify it.
1: Yeah and I and I do think I do want to come back to because the apology and it does seem like it doesn't matter what you and I think but it you know Michael Thomas who I think we would probably agree is probably his opinion probably matters more than the other players considering their relationship on the field and how strong that connection has been uh he accepted the apology so I mean for me it looked like something that could potentially unravel uh and really ruin a saint season that uh has high marks, has high expectations, certainly with Drew Brees nearing the end of his career. But for me, it seems like um, they've already kind of moved past it. I guess we will find out when football is actually played. And sticking with Drew Brees, let's talk about on the field. Uh, Brees, I think two years ago, was in the thick of the MVP race with Patrick Mahomes, and then post-Thanksgiving uh, – Something happened. And there's been speculation. Was it an injury? His production kind of nosedived. Um, but I was really impressed. I thought maybe that was just him aging. And not, Look, not everyone can age like Tom Brady, as gracefully as he has. But Brees came back this past season. He had an incredible year in 2019. You know, outside of the injury, if you look at his efficiency stats, I believe he had uh, career highs in touchdown rate, yards per attempt, passer rating potentially, led the league in completion percentage. How much time do you think Drew Brees has left on the field at this point?
2: Well, I really believe this will probably be his last year, but he won't make that determination until after the season. That's kind of how he's handled uh, each one of these seasons now that he's gotten into his late 30s and now into his 40s. And, uh, you know, if he wants to continue playing, uh, he'll have a place with the New Orleans Saints. There's no doubt about that. It's just a matter of uh, does he want to continue playing. When I've talked to Drew about it, I think it has more to do – Uh, his decision will have more to do with the mental grind than actually the physical grind. Drew is, uh, you know, put so much in to a season and, and, and meeting and preparation, all those things that go into preparing for an NFL game, it just grinds him down. And, uh, you know, he's got a growing family and all those things matter to him. And so I really believe uh, in the end, uh, you know, that's what'll come, you know, the decision will come down to, can he continue to prepare, at the level uh, that will allow him to be successful, and um, you know, will will the team, uh, you know, move forward without him? I don't think so. I, even though I know that um, uh, Sean Payton has tried to groom Taysom Hill to be his uh, to be his um, you know replacement, uh, they would accept Drew Brees back. But you made a good point. I mean, Brees last year, his numbers were you know actually better than Tom Brady's. Now I know mm-hmm. Brady had didn't have the personnel around him. But I think uh, you can make a case that Breeze is actually doing a really good job of kind of maintaining his physical uh, ability into his 40s, and he's maniacal about that in his conditioning and, and training.
1: Yeah, I actually uh, – after the 2018 season, I was a little bit concerned about how he was going to age and if we had seen him fall off the cliff. And he comes back with that strong of a season in 2019 to the point where, again, talking about how the Bucks have kind of stolen the attention – I actually think Breeze is still the best quarterback in that division. I think it's by a wide margin. I know you just mentioned the weapons that Tom Brady didn't have in New Orleans, or sorry, in New England, but I still think even you put Tom Brady in that Bucks offense versus Drew Brees in the Saints offense, and I still think the Saints have the better quarterback, and I think they have the better offense. I'm curious to know how you would would judge Tampa Bay's offense and quarterback situation for the Saints, and if you think the Saints are actually better off than, than Tampa Bay.
2: Well, Tampa Bay's receiving core is – infinitely better, I think, than than the Saints. Um, the Saints have always kind of uh, ridden Breeze's brilliance and the collective ability of Sean Payton's uh, play calling and play design. Uh, they've never really had elite perimeter talent. Uh, you know, Before Mike Thomas and Alvin Kamara came along, the only Pro Bowl player that had played with Breeze in his entire tenure in New Orleans was Jimmy Graham during that brief period when he was the tight end. Uh, and if you look at Tampa Bay, that, that armada they have now a tight end and, and a receiver, it's very impressive. Atlanta obviously has a great receiving core with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Uh, so I think the Saints will continue to try to operate the way they have in the past. I mean, there are no slouches, obviously, with Mike Thomas and Kamara mm-hmm. and Jared Cook and now bringing in Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, but I'm interested to see how Brady and his offensive you know core – Overcome the lack of an offseason. You got a new quarterback, some new players, and new parts in that system, uh, much like Carolina with Joe Brady and Teddy Bridgewater, uh, a new offensive staff in Carolina. How do they overcome what, what I think is a huge advantage for the Saints and that they have so much stability and continuity on their roster? Uh, they have the same offensive system, the same quarterback, the same head coach, the same offensive coordinator. Uh, that have been together for 14 years for the most part, uh, I think that's a huge advantage for the Saints given the unprecedented nature of this of this offseason.
1: You just mentioned Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, it, I really do think this is probably one of the better underrated signings by any team across the NFL just in terms of both – I mean from both the player perspective of wanting to go win a Super Bowl – uh, you know, in the final stages of his productive career. And from the team's perspective of they're in win-now mode with Drew Brees. They're trying to win one more Super Bowl while he still have him. It seemed like the perfect fit opposite Michael Thomas. I'm curious to hear how you think Emmanuel Sanders fits in with this offense.
2: Uh, I think he's a perfect fit. Uh He's everything they've lacked at that other receiver spot. Uh, You know, he fits the Saints' uh, kind of uh, vision. For that position, they want a very reliable player, a smart player uh, that can complement Mike Thomas's route uh, tree, and Emmanuel Sanders can run just about every route uh, in the Saints offense, and he's uh, one of the better, I think, uh, catch percentage guys in the league, very few drops, very smart. He's played in uh, very uh, successful offensive systems in Pittsburgh and Denver and San Francisco. He's uh, been a part of uh, you know Super Bowl teams. Uh, he, he really fits in so many ways with this team and the way they run their offense with Mike Thomas usually on one side of the field with um, Alvin Kamara in the backfield slanted to that side of the field and usually Jerry Cook or now Emmanuel Sanders will be on the weak side. It uh, really spreads the defense out and forces them to make very difficult decisions. And they they just haven't had a guy like Sanders uh, with that consistency and that production at a high level uh, probably since Brandon Cooks was here about four or five years ago. So I think he's going to slot in perfectly and really add a a, a facet to the offense that they haven't had for a while.
1: Yeah, and again, I I tend to agree. I love that signing. I think he fits – with Drew Brees' skill set remarkably well and opposite Michael Thomas, um, I, I think he's going to have a huge year, maybe even better than he did in the second half in San Francisco. Let's let's take a quick break, and we'll come back. Let's talk about the defense, Malcolm Jenkins, um, and just how good that defense can be in 2020.
0: The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community.
1: Alright, so we just mentioned Emmanuel Sanders being one of my favorite offseason additions across the entire NFL. I feel the same way about Malcolm Jenkins, and look, maybe there's an argument to be made, they gave too many years, too much money to a player north of 30 years old, but as I just mentioned, this team's in win now mode, uh, kinda, you know, like the Broncos with Peyton Manning at the end there, the Patriots with Tom Brady. They're just trying to win one more Super Bowl while they still have their Hall of Fame quarterback, and that's why I think it makes sense in this case to maybe overpay for a guy um, who at the end of his deal isn't going to be as productive as he is at the beginning of the deal. What does the addition of Malcolm Jenkins mean to this team, and can he possibly, you think, elevate this defense from, a, you know, I think, a good defense to a potentially great defense?
2: Well, he's coming in, and I think there's a lot of things that he brings to the secondary that they've lacked. Uh, you know, obviously, his veteran leadership, his knowledge of opposing offenses in the NFC, uh, a guy that I think adds some uh, veteran experience to the meeting room. He's seen everything. He's very versatile, and that's obviously becoming more and more of a, uh, you know, valued commodity in the NFL. We're starting to see almost like the NBA. It's like positionless football. Mm -hmm. Dennis Allen loves to play uh, guys around uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, a rookie last year, Bounced around a number of positions in the secondary. I think Malcolm Jenkins will also do that, uh, like he did in Philadelphia. He's certainly not the same player he was early in his career, uh, but if you look at the past three seasons where the Saints have fallen short in the postseason, uh, you know they won more games than any team in the NFL the last three years in the regular season, but they've fallen short. The defense has been on the field to end the game without making a stop. That's really what it comes down to, and I think Malcolm Jenkins. Will be able to correct some of the issues they've had on the back end of getting people lined up, uh, avoiding some gaps that they've had in coverage. Uh, you know, he'll be basically the Drew Brees of the defense, getting them in the right coverage, and uh, that's something they've lacked. They've, they've got a lot of talented young players, a lot of guys, young veterans, but they don't have someone with his collective know-how, and I think that's going to be his role.
1: Yeah, and I, and I really do think Eagles fans, and I, of course I have to mention this because Diva, the producer, is a, is a diehard Eagles fan. Uh, Jenkins is probably, not that the Saints necessarily need another leader in the locker room. Uh, we talked about how stable they've been. Uh, he's going to be a leader in that locker room for that defense, and that, that addition probably means as much as what he brings to on the field. Uh, I think, you know, with Jenkins' arrival, with Emmanuel Sanders' arrival, I really do think the Saints shored up Maybe they're not to mention. Sorry, Jameis Winston to replace Teddy Bridgewater as as another backup quarterback. The Saints might arguably have the deepest roster in the NFL. I I think you can look at it and not really see any clear, glaring weaknesses like most teams always have. Even the best ones have one or two. That said, is there a position battle uh, anywhere on the roster that you think we should be keeping an eye on this summer, assuming training camp happens as planned?
2: Well, I don't know if there's a battle as much as uh, just kind of an intriguing situation at the interior offensive line with Mm -hmm. rookie Cesar Ruiz coming in from Michigan uh, center. He was one of the top interior line prospects in the draft. Uh, Will he end up being the starting center or will it be Eric McCoy? Uh, Obviously started last year, had a a fantastic rookie season, Uh, but the team released Larry Warford, who's a Pro Bowl right guard, Kind of in a, a cost-cutting measure, uh, and the, the I think the plan is to move either Ruiz or McCoy into that spot. Uh, whoever ends up I think being more comfortable making that move, you'd have to think it would probably be McCoy just because he's had a year under his belt uh, in the NFL, and they may want to just keep Ruiz at, at where he feels comfortable playing center, which is what he did at Michigan. I think that's an intriguing situation, and uh, you know the linebacker core other than Demario Davis. Uh, who made, made all pro last year. Uh, I think is also kind of wide open. They don't really have a standout there. They've got a lot of different options. Kiko Alonzo, Alex Anzalone, both coming off injury plague seasons. We've got the rookie Zach Bond from Wisconsin coming in. A lot of, uh, high upside for him. How that linebacker course shakes out, I think also is going to be something, something to watch, especially during training camp.
1: Were you surprised by the Ruiz pick? I mean, the Saints had a, a little bit of a weird draft, <laughs> only four picks. One of those picks was in the seventh round on a developmental quarterback. We all know how that usually tends to work out. Uh, were you surprised they went to upgrade the offensive line or bolster it when that's already, you know, I would say a clear strength of the team?
2: No, you know, it didn't surprise me at all. We knew that they were not happy with uh, the interior line's uh, performance a year ago. It was I think what surprised me was the money – in the contract they threw to Andres Pete, who arguably mm-hmm. was their least effective offensive lineman. And he's still a very young player. I think he's 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they like his versatility. He can play tackle and guard. Uh, but they threw him a pretty big number. Uh, and that surprised me. Uh, but we knew that they were going to make some changes along the interior offensive line. Larry Warford had not. Uh, he'd sort of been in Sean Payton's doghouse. And if you look at, one of the misperceptions I've always I've always said about the New Orleans Saints, especially in the breeze Payton era, uh, you know, they, because they have such uh, high production in the passing game, they're kind of labeled as a finesse team because they play in the dome in that environment. Mm-hmm. They kind of play pinball offense, but they invest heavily in that offensive line. They've done it throughout the tenure of high draft picks, uh, high dollar free agents. They they really build up front first. And, uh, you know, I think that's a little bit of a misperception. They will, they will run the ball on you if you, if you don't honor the run. And, uh, so, so the, for them to continue to invest in that up front, I think this continues a trend. I, I think the philosophy has always been from Sean Payton, you know, he, he was a mentor. I mean, his mentor was Bill Parcells. And, uh, he knows that really good elite offensive linemen are hard to find and you really have to draft them pretty high. that, to get really elite players like that. So that, that's always been a philosophy of theirs.
1: So we've been ending all of these team podcasts by asking the, you know, each reporter what, uh, what their ceiling and floor is and what would be considered a successful season. And I think for the Saints, from my opinion, it's probably, it's unfair to them, but it's probably Super Bowl or busted. They're a perennial playoff team that has had incredibly bad luck, I feel like, in the playoffs over the past few seasons. And I think if you look at their, what Vegas has set for them, that's, that meshes with what I just said. Win total set at 10.5, insanely high number, and 12-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, tied for the fourth-best odds. In your mind, what's their ceiling, what's their floor, and what do they need to hit for the season to be considered a successful one? Well, there's no question they've got to get
2: to the Super Bowl. I think if they get there, um, and then they can let the chips fall where they may. But falling short, as they have, especially two of the last three years, losing at home in the Superdome in that incredible environment. Now, one of them we all know was on a a very controversial call. But, uh, you know, falling short, uh, the way I look at it, if you want to pull back the lens and take the 10,000-foot view of this, uh, the Sean Payton-Drew Brees legacy, I think, is on the line here. Uh, If we think and presume that this is going to be Drew's last season, uh, what is that legacy going to be if you have the all-time leading passer, uh, Hall of Fame first ballot quarterback, and you only got to one Super Bowl in 15 mm-hmm. seasons, uh, then you're starting to kind of paint a different uh, picture of, of just how successful this run has been. It's despite the division titles, all the regular season wins, the epic games, and, uh, you know, on Monday Night Football and Sunday Night Football, uh, all that I think will be by the wayside if they can't get back to the Super Bowl. I think that really underscores just how how difficult it is to get there and, uh, you know, the uh, heartbreak that probably Drew Brees, Sean Payton, and the fan base have felt because they've been so close the last few seasons.
1: Yeah, it feels like – I I just feel like you get in the playoffs enough with that good of a roster, which they've been doing for the past few years. At some point, the luck works out in your favor, and they, there's no doubt they've got they've been dealt a bad hand in the last couple playoff appearances. They would actually be, I think, as of right now – um, here in mid June, probably my Super Bowl pick for for the NFC to to meet the Chiefs. We'll see what would happen there. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. I uh, really appreciate your insight.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the invite, and um, we'll do it again next time.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, and thanks to everyone listening. Um, Brinson's going to be back next week. In the meantime, as I said, business as usual here at the Pick Six Podcast, which means we will be back in your feed very very soon. Thanks again, guys.